0: My friend Bill said he felt like he had left Egypt carrying away some plunder. What he was describing was his exit from evangelicalism. Hello, this is Todd Lilson with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. For the podcast that explores the intersection of life, faith, and thinking theologically, or as in the old seminary days, we refer to it as theological reflection. Today on the podcast, I'm glad to have our youngest daughter, Tommy, back on the podcast to have a discussion. Tommy is the well among, well, she wears many hats, so she's not just the mother of my grandkids, my youngest daughter. She is the um, producer of the crackers and grape juice podcast and does a great job over there, um, editing and posting and scheduling, uh, for what, uh, well, for two of the, two of the three podcasts that are part of that, uh, uh, what do they refer to it as? Maybe their kingdom or, um, I don't know, whatever it is. Anyway, um, we, we had talked about, that is Tommy and I had talked about, uh, the responses and the reactions to the death of Rachel Held Evans at 37, leaving behind two children. And um, while there were some very positive responses on social media, the hashtag R H E trended uh, those who had found uh, in her writings um, some resonance, uh, kindred spirit, if you will, uh, there were others that were not so flattering. And uh, it called to mind uh, the instance of Stan Grinz's death, uh, untimely, uh, a bit older than uh, Rachel uh, at his death, but nonetheless young, early 50s, I believe, um, could have been considered maybe at the height of his kind of writing and influencing career uh, in the early 2000s. And um, within a day or two, uh, a self-described friend wrote a pretty critical piece, um, and, um, maybe you call it a warning piece, and there were none too few of those that came out, and, and so, uh, we sat down on my birthday uh, last week and just had a little conversation, Tommy and I, uh, you'll hear the boys in the background, and, uh, just a little different setting for us. But uh, hopefully you'll find something helpful in this episode. I have some uh, news uh, about some upcoming guests on the other side. So as always, I want to thank you for listening and remember to share the podcast. And if you find this episode or others helpful, if you wouldn't mind sharing with your friends and whatever uh, your favorite podcatcher is, you could also help us uh, by giving us a rating or review in iTunes. It's how the algorithm works. Even though we've been doing this a bit, it helps us get uh, discovered by uh, new ears. And uh, so help us out. Without uh, any further ado, here's my conversation uh, with Tommy Marshall uh, on the life and passing of Rachel Held Evans. Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Path Theological, the podcast for the pastor theologian, where the podcast explores the intersection of life faith and thinking theologically. Today on the podcast, well, it's, she's not really a special guest, although she's very special. She's been on the podcast before. We've, uh, we talk about every day. But today, I've asked Tommy to get on with me and talk about the recent passing of Rachel Held Evans. We're not just wanting to talk about, you know, the realities of death and the peculiarities that come to a young family where two young children are involved, but we're kind of interested in the reaction that uh we've seen on Twitter and Facebook and blog posts and even in the national media and uh, so Tommy, thanks for uh sitting down and and taking some time to chat
1: of course so when
0: was your when when was your first time when was the first time you kind of encountered uh, Rachel held Evans. Was it a, a a book, a talk, an article? What 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 do you do? What do you remember?
1: Um part of Jason and I's story of church was being on staff at a church that um didn't see women as equal, still doesn't, but um so after that all happened, I kind of went and searched for female voices and she was the first one I found. Um she had just written searching for Sunday and I couldn't think of a better book to try to find my faith again. Um, I lost faith completely in the church because of our experience, and so I needed to heal, and that was where I started. Um, And then, of course, she introduced me to other female voices.
0: Yeah, I think you make an important distinction. You uh, describe the fact that you lost faith in the church. Too many people kind of hear lost faith as... I lost my faith in Jesus. and Well, there um, was some of that too. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think we all come with a, a periods of questions and doubts that we're just not sure what to do with. And, and I, that was Rachel's situation. You know, she um, uh, wrote her first book um, that referenced uh, Dayton uh, uh, and uh, Monkey Town. Mm-hmm. And I think the title of it was Evolving mm-hmm. in Monkey Town. And in that book, you know, she was really quick to talk about um some of the changes that her faith went through mm-hmm. and there and then you know even more recently um over the last few years, she actually had the same kind of experience you describe it she mm-hmm. lost faith in the church in which she grew up in the particular right. form and 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 uh liturgies and um and so you know um we we all have some of those at some point point. and so while yes i i can't disagree um that sometimes that feels like a um what about our faith in in Jesus or our faith in God but your your reference is pretty important um because you uh read uh, searching for Sunday, and what did you find? What, did, what, did, what, what resonated with you?
1: One of the first things was um, the way that she talked about church. I needed to be reminded of what church was and what it was supposed to be and what it was supposed to look like. Um, so she, in her first chapter um, on baptism, she had a paragraph that I'll just read really quick. Um, she said, But even as a kid, you learn pretty quick that church doesn't start and stop with the hours of service posted on the church sign. No, church dragged on like the last hour of the school day as we waited in the hot car with mom or with dad for mom to finish socializing in the fellowship hall. Church lingered long into the gold-tinted Sunday afternoons when Amanda and I gambled around the house, stripped down to our white slips like little brides. Church showed up at the front door with a chicken casserole when the whole family was down with the flu and called after midnight to ask for prayer and to cry. It gossiped in the pickup line at school and babysat us on Friday nights. It teased me and tugged at my pigtails and taught me how to sing. Church threw dad a big surprise party for his 40th birthday and let me in on the secret ahead of time. Church came to me far more than I went to it, and I'm glad.
0: Yeah, so (laughs) at least in in that um, paragraph she 's highlighting um, what may have uh, been glossed in the overly institutionalized picture that mm-hmm. we get, whether we 're getting that from the media we 're getting that from critics, or maybe we 're getting that from our own experience. but what she describes are the ways that the church showed up for her families. So the church really isn't a building. It's really not an institution. It's a series of relationships. Is that something that helped you uh, when you were kind of thinking through that period and, and mm-hmm. uh, looking?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, we would have preferred to take a time where we didn't attend church. But we knew that if we didn't go again, we wouldn't go back Um we were in so much pain from everything that happened. We knew that if we didn't go to a safe church, a place that we knew we were loved to heal, then we would never return.
0: Yeah, you know, you say something that uh, I've got some friends from way back, I mean, you know, 10, 15 years or more ago, who ran into similar kind of feelings you're describing. M- maybe it wasn't particularly related to um as much as it was questions and doubts and the lack of feeling safe at the at the uh, communities in which they were involved. Uh, one of those in particular made a comment years later after they made the decision to lay out or to not go or to not attend that they had some regrets about disconnecting and felt like maybe they should have found at least a safe place to, if nothing else, to attend, maybe slip in in the back after things start and slip out um, before things end, not necessarily wanting particularly to engage in long and lots of conversation, not to be sort of uh, targeted for membership or signing up to serve, Um, But they later described the fact that 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 wasn't the best decision. It was to completely disconnect um, because it made it hard to overcome.
1: Another thing that I think it kind of points to is the fact that um, for the most part, I would say that this kind of church experience doesn't necessarily exist anymore. It's not a popular one. It's not popular to get so ingrained into your community that you are going through the nitty-gritty when it comes to your church community. We want to do that outside of our church because we don't want people to know us, mm. so with the popularity of mega churches, small churches house churches, um, we want to hide when we go to church now, so we don't want to be seen. Mm. so I think that this tends to be focused more. this experience isn't the normal anymore where for me it was growing up that was the normal. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want for my kids, and I think that if people would take a step back and um, realize that life is better when you are seen and when you see others, that they can have this kind of communal experience um, around church as well. It doesn't just have to be uh, the other groups that you find yourself in.
0: You know, you, you raise it. You, well, you're always really good at raising kind of interesting f- connections to make. But so I'm listening uh, to a podcast on the way over uh, by one of the fellows that uh, helped um, Zuckerberg uh, start Facebook. <clears throat> and uh, he recently wrote an op ed piece, I believe it's in the New York Times, that basically called for the breakup of Facebook. And he had his own reasons. But it, what's interesting when you say it is important to be seen, I mean, it seems as though while more people are not wanting to be seen at church, boy, they're craving to be seen on Facebook. I mean, well, today Facebook yeah. or social media becomes the place. That but
1: you decide what people see.
0: Sure, and that's what I mean. It's a constructed. Mm-hmm. It's not, so it's not really you. So right, you're. You know, you're, it's you're, a
1: curated life that people get to view. Yeah, you're,
0: it's your. It's the pictures of vacation where everybody's happy, mm-hmm. not while they're arguing over you know, why aren't we doing what I want to do? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's it's the family who looks uh, pristine and betrays the underlying angst, whether there's a terminal illness involved or mm-hmm. whether there's a recent job loss or, you know, we are putting, for the most part, the best spin on on ourselves. And, 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 and the church, unfortunately, has kind of gravitated to try to be that place inadvertently to compete with uh, an environment where, let's go put our best face on where Mm -hmm. we're really the the church actually, I mean, Luther had, is it Luther or Augustine one? I I, I can't remember off the cuff, really had this really, uh, um, really harsh kind of description of the church and the ways in which it had been unfaithful. uh, And uh, yet came back to say, but, but she is my mother. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those um, kind of things that, you know, maybe the, the church needs to um, disrobe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think
1: that's one thing that Rachel Held Evans was trying to do in a lot of ways, was to to bring the church back to a communal viewpoint, even, even on big platforms. She fought for everyone to be seen.
0: Yeah, you know, I read um, A Year of uh, Biblical Womanhood, I think mm-hmm. was the title of it, um, because I was always interested in that in, uh, in and among folks like Rachel who, who grew up with a significant role that the Bible played, I was very interested in uh, the sort of questions that created, um, I don't know if doubt is the right word, but created sort of a, a dissonance or a, a, wait a minute, is that what really is going on here? And... Rachel seemed to, like you said, be someone who could say, you know, there's a way to look at this that, that isn't necessarily um, so biblicist mm-hmm. that uh, we can't see some beauty in it.
1: Well, there was a Work of the People video that I had recently rewatched. have I've watched all of hers in the past, but of course they're coming back up since her passing. And she talked about how um, there's room for everybody at the table because we don't make the guest list. Jesus makes the guest list. And so I think that that shows her viewpoint on church, is that everyone needs to be seen and be valued and be worthy because we're all the same in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, so wh- why do you think it is that um, uh, Rachel uh, dies, sadly, at 37, leaves two very young children and a husband? What do you, what do you make of the uh, uh, reactions? I mean, obviously, we know people who have found her great value, and there have been Mm -hmm. plenty of... There's a whole
1: hashtag where you can go and just weep with everyone about how she impacted their lives. Yeah,
0: because of RHE, I -hmm, believe, is mm -hmm, the hashtag. But but here we turn around, and boy, there are a number that have been written that are like, well, we hate that uh, someone so young was taken from their family and two small children, and then they launch into a... But you know what? She had it all wrong. Mm. What do you, what do you, what do you make of that? You're, you're, you know, you're Mm. closer to Rachel's age than Mm. I am, even especially today. Mm. So.
1: Oh, happy birthday, by the way. No, there we go. (laughs) Um, a lot of things go through my mind. Um, there were times that I didn't necessarily agree with Rachel. Um, of course I didn't know her personally and a tweet can only say so much. Mm -hmm. Um, even a thread can only say so much. But I think that it's very obvious why there have been some harsh things said after her passing. And I think it all boils down to the fact that she was a woman speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, No one likes uh, um, a woman speaking too much in the theological world, especially the conservative side of things. Um, But to also be a strong voice in it, to be heard in it, Uh, creates a lot of issues and um i think a lot of people saw her as angry and there were times i did too but i think that she was justified a lot in that anger um she was fighting and she was fighting hard for for women to be seen for the lgbtq people to be seen um She was fighting for kids to be safe in schools. She was fighting um, as a white ally in the racial divide that we see in our country. She was fighting every fight, and she was doing it well. Mm -hmm. And people don't like that, especially, like I said, in the theological world from a woman.
0: Yeah, particularly in the conservative uh, Mm -hmm. end of the Mm -hmm. equation, um, there's been uh, quite the... uh, uh, backlash that I've seen from that quarter.
1: Mm-hmm. Sarah yeah. Bessie um, wrote a great piece uh, mm-hmm. about her after her passing in in regards to some of the very hurtful things people were saying.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you you have a good friend, and they were close. I mean, I believe she was there when Rachel passed away, and then to go out reading these mm-hmm. vitriolic mm-hmm. pieces, is, I can't imagine. Yeah, I I, I can't either. <clears throat> you know what what comes to mind is 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 when you, you you kind of look at it and assess that uh, a lot of it had to do with the fact that she was a woman, mm-hmm. she was a female, which I, I don't disagree with, but that tends to be rooted in a particular interpretation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it could be that it's just a, a general um, uh, misogynistic kind of positioning um, that that's not rooted in the Scriptures, but because we're talking about um uh, quote Christians who are expressing themselves in this way, we have to at least assume they're drawing their conclusions from some way of reading the the scriptures mm-hmm. uh what what came to my mind, tommy, was that um in these negative pieces, there was always a challenge to her orthodoxy that that is her right belief and and uh, and so what what I, um, uh, I think you all actually had a fellow on the Crackers and Grape Juice podcast, which you produce. I'm pretty proud of the fact that you do that. In fact, I'm not sure how those guys would get along without you and how they did for so long anyway. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it was one of the, one of the recent interviews where um, the, the a guest was making a point that when we throw around the word orthodoxy, uh, since Christianity is uh, um, you know, approaching 2,000 years of, of history, if you will, that we've got uh, um, to remember that the early creeds, the mm-hmm. uh, Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, there are a lot of uh, quote-unquote issues that were not settled in those councils. Mm-hmm. And yet we claim that some of these things, some of these issues that are debatable issues, become matters of orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. So, so you get someone who's in a particular narrow stream of the Christian uh, tree, if you mm-hmm. will, or Christian stream, and they immediately assume that, well, Rachel is uh, an orthodox. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, she joined and became, I believe, an Anglican? And they're very uh, committed to I think she's the creeds, Episcopalian. Episcopalian. Mm-hmm. Um Very committed to the creeds, mm-hmm. and and so, um, ha, what do you what do you make of of, of the of the way that uh, as a young person, the way that, that um, it seems like this tent this this tent uh, uh, it, it is it's shrunk. You you made the comment earlier about um, we don't we don't make the guest list mm-hmm. for the table, mm-hmm. but boy, it sure seems like some have decided <laughs> since I don't make the guest list, I can at least shrink the table.
1: Yeah, um, it, it's frustrating as a young person because um, it, the the guest that you're referring to is Steve Harper, and he actually talked a bit about how um, we need to be listening to the younger people, the younger generations. Um, I think one thing that gets neglected, whether you're talking theology or not, is, I mean, y'all are going to (laughs) die. We're all going to die, but y'all are going to probably die first. And so to not listen to the generation that's coming, to the generation that is going to keep things going or to bury it with you, um, is so wrong It's so wrong um, and, and, and to sit there and assume I, I don't know I, I, um, I struggle a lot With uh, the older generation Because that seems to be what it was and, and most of the people who actually spoke out Against Rachel were white men mm-hmm. um, After her passing The ones who um, were Kind of just assholes um, They were white men and I think that, that that right there says all you need to know.
0: Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I've never, I've not read uh, Rob Dreher, for instance, uh, who wrote The Benedict Option. I, I've listened to, read some pieces by Dreher. And uh, Jonathan Merritt had a, a tweet out that uh, basically took a line from Dreher's piece where he said he had not, he didn't know nor had read Rachel Held Evans, and he spent uh, a thousand words proving it. <laughs> Um, and calling, you know, calling her to account and into question. And I, I think when you um, look at the uh, age differential there, what you're what you're describing is a, a reality. I think what happens for we older types is is we we we've, we've become a little calcified in our vision of how mm-hmm. things are, and we're afraid that somehow God's unable uh, to protect His church as if he hasn't protected his church from whatever mistakes we might make. I, I tell folks, I've been doing this, you know, for a long time, and, and I, I tell folks uh, even to this day that I'm pretty sure there'll be a thing or two I'm wrong about. Mm. Um, but I don't find in the text any place where the accuracy uh, of uh, theological nuance or what are sometimes called second-order issues— are requirements for being loved and cared for. In fact, I'm pretty sure that if you, when we went back and you know looked at the text, the disciples were at the table long before mm-hmm. Peter got ethnic issues right.
1: It always makes me laugh, especially in the conservative things that I read um, and see, growing up rather conservative like we were and we went through a family life change a church life change um where we realized we don't need to make the guest list we don't even need to attempt to make the guest list um and we distance ourselves from people who were trying to shrink the table Um, but there was a time where we didn't know better i feel like at least from my point of view um I was always told that God doesn't fit in a box and God can do anything. And, you know, he's, he can save us and protect us and all these wonderful things that God is. But when it comes to, we'll keep using the table picture, when it comes to making the table bigger, when it comes to making that guest list forever long, because so many names are on it, all of our names are on it, that's the one thing God can't do right god he's not strong enough to have come and sent his son for everyone that's something he just didn't do that is how they act Mm -hmm. now if you were to ask them if god so loved the world that he gave his only son and and all that of course they would say yes yes everyone everyone but in practice no that is not what they say yeah
0: yeah, and I think that I think you're okay. right to assess the the uh, agitator. I think it's not, a, and I'm not using it negative. The agitator that kept stirring those waters that was Rachel Held mm-hmm. Evans. That um, we we don't like. Like ruptures and disruptions, we and, and I think in part because we'd like to just sail down the road and not have to worry about anything. Um, and we've got our few that we hang with, and so long as we all see things exactly the same, uh, we sure don't want anyone telling us, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise. And um, I just find that Jesus was always needling. Always, he was an he's an antagonist in the mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, you know, I remember a, a young guy years ago, Tommy, who um, we were having some discussions actually over the issue of women mm-hmm. at our church. And um, we, we were on kind of different sides of that issue. Uh, and um, he referenced Jesus um, as saying, I came to, to uh, set people at odds. And I've chewed on that for a while, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think what you know I think I think maybe the way that that got communicated was is that you know hey listen um, I'm go- I'm playing the role of Jesus you know and I think the thing that happens is is we like Jesus agitating other people mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but mm-hmm. we don't like Jesus agitating
1: nope. us
0: <laughs> and uh, and so I, you know. I, I haven't read her, her newest book. I haven't read... I um, haven't either. Inspired, I, actually, I think, mm-hmm, right? It's
1: inspired, yeah.
0: And I and, and it's <clears throat> going to be... You know, it's, it's the kind of book that I I will get and I will read because she returns to this love of reading the Bible mm-hmm. after having... So it's almost like rakur described the second naivete. Mm-hmm. So you read the first time as a child and then... You know, you get all these uh, quote unquote answers. And so you go through a period of questioning, maybe even a period of doubt. And then you discover, well, that's really not what the Bible was doing in the Mm -hmm. first place, to borrow a Pete N's line. You know, what is the Bible doing? And then you find out that what it is doing uh, recreates this, ah, I want to return to it and read it again. And you get this, like, oh, I can't wait to read it again after Mm -hmm. having a period of time. Like, I've got all that figured out. Do you find that have, have been a kind of a uh something that you picked up? Oh yeah. From,
1: from Rachel? Oh yeah. I mean her and Sarah Bessie together have have shaped how I now read the Bible, I I feel like. Um they they opened things yes, up. Mom, yes. Can, can I have a snack? <laughs> can you wait just a minute? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um I feel like her and I feel like Rachel and Sarah Bessie kind of shaped how I look at the Bible now. Um, I never really was, um, we didn't read it uh, for what it is. Um, a lot of times at church camp, which is, is not in our control, when you go to a church camp, they have a theme for you mm-hmm. and they they preach to you. A lot of the day. So it's not your youth leader who's speaking to you or your pastor. It is the pastor of the camp. So there was no control on, our, on y'all's part, I know. But the Bible was our, our roadmap. Mm-hmm. Literally, I remember sitting in um, a breakout session at Falls Creek and, and being taught to go to the back and find a word. Just a word. So if I'm if I'm dealing with worry... I go to the back of the Bible and I find the word worry and it gives me every single scripture that mentions the word worry. Mm -hmm. So then that's how, that's how you read the Bible Mm -hmm. is you find the things that are going to hit for you. You take them completely out of context just to make yourself feel better. Mm -hmm. That's how you're supposed to read it. Mm -hmm. And so to come back around later in life and, and, and see that that's not how it is. It's like, I'm reading it for the first time. Mm -hmm in a lot of ways, and adding other theologians to it and other voices to it in and, and your sermons and other sermons, um, it's just completely changed how I see the Bible and the things that I see that are important that we take with us today.
0: Well, I have to tell you that that's... Uh, I, I think that's a more common experience than maybe we realize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, for instance, I remember... Um, my introduction to um, reading people who are outside of the quote unquote approved list mm-hmm. i could I could name a number of classical uh, and and historical theologians that you know you're supposed to not read. and and then and then more recently, I've heard people, well, you read them so you so you can know what the enemy thinks. So now right. immediately you're mm-hmm. characterizing someone who's in the Christian tradition, right, who's, never, who's never been, who seriously was never declared a, a heretic by anyone, mm-hmm. but happened to be outside that particular right. narrow band mm-hmm. that you're associated with. And then you find out that, wow, um, you know, there's some really good stuff. You know, we didn't read a lot of, I, I didn't, we didn't read a, a lot of the church fathers, for instance, when right. I was, you know, going through, uh, uh, college and seminary mm-hmm. and, and, uh, Southern Baptist context, and now you find out, wow, what a rich sort of thing there is, (laughs) Mm -hmm, you know. mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I recall that when I uh, finished seminary, the rage was is how to be a great leader. Right. There's a greater emphasis there, frankly, than how to be a great exegete or how to um, integrate uh, different. Uh, perspectives mm-hmm. uh, so that you didn't always come off as though you were the only you, you were you were the only one who was right mm-hmm. and and so you kind of wall off future learning you, um, you you find some richness in some areas that you hadn't and so mm-hmm. you know it's it's and it's encouraging to me to know that there have been voices that have helped you mm-hmm. Uh, kind of think more broadly, mm-hmm. and uh, I know that <clears throat> I know that some people think that the uh, encouragement to read broadly is to open up our mind to believe anything, but that's really not what we're talking about. Right. You know, we're, we're, we are talking about people who've affirmed the creeds, orthodox in their faith, who happen to maybe view things a little bit different. The irony, here's the crazy irony, is you know we we've been battling in the SBC now between uh, quote Calvinists and Arminians for. Uh, <laughs> Uh, quite some time, Mm -hmm. and yet um, those on both sides of the equation would have to disavow some of the theologies Mm -hmm. to which they're borrowing from, because Southern Baptists are not probably anytime soon going to baptize infants. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, that illustrates that um, they've gone outside of uh, a particular stream to find uh, value and to find uh, other resources mm-hmm.
1: yeah. okay. Just a
0: here, here. You know when uh, the grandson needs a snack,
1: <laughs>
0: don't care who you're podcasting with, you take a break mm-hmm. and you find a snack. which you know, in kind of an odd sort of way, Tommy is um, is not a bad kind of way to think about. You know, when you find someone whose needs um, transcend the answers that you have, you go look for the answers mm-hmm. instead of trying to insert something that you think will work. I, you know, when I, when I hear of Rachel's uh, story, uh, and I listen to you, and of course, like we talk all the time, but I also think of Robert Weber, who wrote a little book on the Canterbury Trail, And he had a really simple kind of description of his own experience. So he was an evangelical uh, for a long time. And in the latter part of his life, he um, became, uh, I believe he became an Anglican. Uh, And uh, uh, he said, you know, we start out and we're given the faith that we have. And then at some point we go through a period of questioning or doubting the faith we've been given. So that then we can embrace the faith it's ours. And he's not saying that you concoct your faith, but he's right. saying that now you look to the breadth of Christian tradition, and writers, and theologians, and the mystics, and the church fathers, and you you come to the place where when you're looking at how you're describing um, uh, God's activity in the world and His presence and reality in our lives through um, Christ and God's Spirit, then. You know, we come more to the place that, oh, I'm not borrowing from somebody else. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I think everybody has to, and that's really Rachel Held's story. She Mm -hmm. was, she was, here I, here I hit this point. And in college, I believe, I was reading a piece uh, when she's in college. And and then from there, it just kind of continued to roll out Mm -hmm. where, you know, it was really more of a journey, uh, a process, if you will, of... Uh, discovering all the ways that the, this gospel message uh, picked up how we treated
1: people. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we don't see it as a journey, though. It's uh, once you say the prayer, then you have all the answers. And so that's why people don't grow in their faith. Mm-hmm. They stay stagnant.
0: I think that motif of journey is, is a good one. I mean, I, I kind of liken it to the fact that we uh, always think we arrive. I mean, I I I regularly see... Younger pastors, admittedly, I'm not sure. I, I, I better say I I better not qualify that as say just younger, but it's you know there's this um, this is the way it is, and if you, if you're hearing it any other way, then you know you probably need to go somewhere else. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, and and I, I kind of I probably was that way. You know, I probably mm-hmm. came out of college um and maybe my even my early days I was, I, I was think in your generation
1: way. though that you were taught to preach that way. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that I looking back at pastors around your age I honestly think that that especially in the SBC that is how y'all were taught. Mm-hmm. And Thank goodness you've grown from that and you've changed.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think what's happening to a lot of um, my age, maybe, and maybe just a little bit younger. I I think there's still some stridency in those a little bit older than than I am, but that um, what what's discounted is is we really came to ministry, mm-hmm. pastoring, church leadership in the throes of of really a hostile. Um, controversial-laden era in Mm -hmm. our denomination. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was was when I entered college and was in seminary during all of that. So naturally, the influences are going to get you to choose a side. Mm -hmm. And so you're listening for the arguments. And then if you, you know, I think whether it's conscious or unconscious, you try to figure out who's going to win. Yep. And then you want to make sure you're on the winner's team. Mm -hmm. I mean, jokingly, it was... If the SBC splits, just make sure you go with the annuity board. <laughs> that way you've got a retirement. So Sounds um, like the
1: Methodist right now. It
0: does. And, and and I think that's just the farcical nature of history repeating mm-hmm. itself. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, well, I will I, uh, um, look forward to... Uh, Picking up maybe, uh, not, and I, I didn't know if you knew this, but not just Inspired was new, but there's another mm-hmm. one going to be published next year, year mm-hmm. um, which which will be, you know, kind of interesting then to reflect back through. But I want you to know something. I, I agree with all of your assessment um, about kind of why people went after um, Rachel, uh, possibly maybe centered on the fact that she was a young woman speaking out. But... Um, I came to be attracted to uh, Stan Grins in the early 2000s. And uh, when he died suddenly of a heart attack, uh, a, a good friend of his who he had known a long time and walked in you know, the theological associations, uh, they became kind of more adversary than ally. And I mean, within just a day or two maybe, there was an article out by this friend who... I thought was one of the most uncharitable moves, Mm. you know. Which reminded me that came that came back to me when I started reading uh, how people responded to Rachel. So, you know, while I think maybe this was magnified because she was a young woman and she was trying to make um, a a point that the that, that people ought to be loved and cared for. All people ought to be loved and cared for in the name of Jesus. That we when we feel threatened, when our little niche feels threatened. We'll do the most uncharitable things mm-hmm you know oh, yeah so that's not just not just toward um
1: well and it, it takes a um it didn't take a whole lot of uh I'm trying to think of a not my normal crass way to say it mm-hmm. um it didn't take a lot of courage mm-hmm. to get on a Twitter account and to bash someone whether they're living or dead yeah that's
0: that's sadly where we are
1: uh exactly so it it doesn't it doesn't take much to, to be able to not, um, and, and since things are so impersonal a lot of times through social media, it's not like anyone's writing anything about her and they've shook her hand before. Right. right. It's not like they've ever right. had coffee with her or um, probably even listened to a talk that was recorded. Right. Um, so that's just sadly another world that we live in where it's, it's super easy to do those things.
0: Well, I I know it's lunchtime for the boys and, and uh they've been so good.
1: in in a way it would it would make her proud to know that we're um glorifying her name a little bit and acknowledging the things that she's done while the kids are playing in the background.
0: <laughs> yeah, you were telling me. What was mm-hmm. this what were you telling? Um me?
1: I I want to say it was Sarah Bessie who shared a story about how um she was giving a talk. I I want to say even just a few months ago. Uh at a college, I believe, and her daughter was crying uh, backstage, and so she took a moment, went and grabbed her daughter, brought her on the stage, and continued her talk. Um, if that doesn't show you that a woman can do anything, uh, then you're just not looking. looking yeah, I can up. tell
0: you a few men would have responded to that. So, oh yeah, know, yeah, I think I think you. Well, you're, and I and point. I think
1: that's where the draw was for me is um, it wasn't just a woman saying, "Hey, women can," but she was doing. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, um, she definitely impacted my life in a way that not only, um, brought me back to falling in love with the church for all its woes, for all its pain that it can cause. And that's the big C and the little C. Mm -hmm. Um, but she, she opened me up to other women as well that, that helped heal me and, continue to give me confidence as a woman to speak up more in a, in a culture where even though we've progressed, it's still not where it should be.
0: Right. And I, I think maybe a, way, a good way to close is, is to remind those who listen that um, we should be very careful about how we um, think the spirit of God works mm. Because when someone uses the language of, and I've seen this actually uh, recently with a whole another debate, um, that someone talks about someone who's impacted them, some self-righteous, pious—I'm uh, not going to use the word "used" a while ago, but it fits—that um,
1: <laughs> um, I'm 30 now, that, I have no censors. I understand. I understand. <laughs>
0: um, and and I, and 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 the rule of thumb is is. Well, God did that. Right. Well, that's right. right. But the a, the agency through which the Spirit of God works, and we find it all throughout the Scriptures, is you know human beings in whom the Spirit is working. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that the Spirit is working in and through folks to help us um, is is like my young Presbyterian minister friend who now lives in um, Saint Louis said one time when we were talking about just the way they practice communion. And Tommy, at the end, he he said, "You know, he said the problem sometimes is is we talk about faith as only uh, 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 the way, uh, sort of a, a language in our heads, uh, uh, not that we hear a voice." He said, "So when when they got ready to take communion, he would remind everyone that their sins had been forgiven." Mm. Now, for um, a Baptist, that you know that kind of smacks right up there with like, "Are you saying you get to forgive sins?" Well, Jesus did say <laughs> we could. Jesus did say that, and he said, no, it, it's it's really, it, it is the command of Christ that we can declare, and all we're doing is we're not forgiving their sins, we're telling them God has forgiven mm. their sins, and so that's through the agency of a human being. Right. And so I want to make sure that on our way out here that um, no one construes that we're not aware that God works through people. Right. Right. And that sometimes he brings mentors, friends, authors, mm-hmm. people we've maybe never met in person who are instrumental in helping us mm-hmm. recover a love for Jesus, for the church, both local and universal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. so thanks. We better get the kids some yes. food. Yes, yes. We'll do this again. <laughs> thanks. Hey, as always, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, I've got a a, a few uh, pre-pub manuscripts uh, looking over, trying to get through. Uh, I'm going to have an interview soon. It'll drop the first of June with my friend Jason Michelli on his book uh, "Living in Sin." It's a book about marriage. Really, really good stuff. Uh, I've got a copy of um, David Fitch's "Us versus Them." One of my uh, favorite guys to to read and to listen to. Um, and, uh, and then I've got I've got to think of another one. We'll have to see. Anyway, you know it's summer, so it could be hit and miss. But we're going to try to keep some things rolling and going. And again, as always, I want to thank you for listening, and remember to share the podcast. And as always, this has been Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. Peace.